Hello, this is your host, Paul Harvey at Life, Passion and Business. I realise I put this at the end of the programme most of the time. And I also realise I don't often listen to the end of podcasts. So I thought about it, i tell you here before we get started. So the first thing is this podcast is not supported in any way. We have no sponsorship. So if you would like to support us, do check out the Buy Me A Coffee link on this podcast app. And you also find it at the website. Now, also, if you are interested in the five questions and would like to answer them yourself, do check out the resources tab at the website because the five questions is available as a workbook and an ebook. And if you want to know why that's important, check out the end of the podcast or go and check out the resources tab at the website. That's enough for me. Let's get on with the program. My name is Paul Harvey, and you are listening to Life, Passion and Business, a podcast born out of my desire to find greater meaning in life at the time when I thought there was none. Since that day, I have spoken to hundreds of people, and what I have discovered is that our story is everything, because what we do, feel or experience is based on the stories that we tell ourselves. It's time to explore what it means to live a good life. How do we make this experience better? And more importantly, how do we lead the world to a better place? You know, doing this work on dating, and in order to do that work, I needed to study the psychology of love so I could understand how dating and romance worked. Mm -hmm. So I spent a couple of years reading in great detail into the psychology of love. The things we love. Is it the car or our phone? So what does it mean to love something? I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about an item, an object, or even a brand. My guest on the show today has been researching how we love for over 30 years. So today's show is the first recording in our streamlined format. And it makes the show more compact, so I hope you enjoy it. The conversation is in two parts. The first will be in audio, and the second part will be on our YouTube channel, and the link for that will be in the show notes. Dr. Aaron Verhuvia is the Karsanaki Endowed Professor of Marketing at the University of Michigan Dearborn and the world's leading expert on brand love. And all of that started with research work in the dating services. He and a colleague were exploring how dating apps work, but before they could engage or explore that subject, they need to understand love. His work on brand love has been recognised not just in academia, but also in industry. In 2019, he received the Steinbeck Group Brand Relationship Award for research that has influenced business practice. But before all of this, Aaron is a philosopher. And in our conversation, you will hear how much of a philosopher he is. I think he was even looking to get a job as a philosopher, but there are no corporate philosophers, so he ended up in marketing. And in this conversation, we avoided all the pitfalls, but I can assure you that semantics is everything, particularly when it becomes to a conversation with a philosopher. We cover his journey through the five questions and what it takes for him to live a good life. Now, in part two of our conversation on YouTube, we explore the ideas behind loving a brand and objects. We explore some of the pitfalls that AI may open up. You know, when it comes to bonding with inanimate object, that's one thing. But what happens if that object starts to respond? Anyway, I hope you enjoy part one of our conversation enough to follow us up on part two. Let's join the conversation with Dr. Aaron Ohuvia. 
So this is life, passion, and business, and we're kind of into our new format, a new structure of this of this podcast, which is which is great. It's very exciting to be doing something different, as I've been doing this other process for five years. So we're we're now on something completely new, and although we're going to keep the same kind of format, so um, can you tell me, like, you know, it's where did it all begin for you? It's much more the roundabout route kind of situation <laughs> for me. Um, originally, my undergraduate degrees in philosophy mm-hmm. and I would have very much liked to become a philosophy professor because the only real job in philosophy uh, but there were no jobs in like there no absolutely nobody was getting hired in that at the time I was going through school have philosophers ever been employed really I mean over no, history no <laughs> I used to joke uh, when I was a, a college student to, to say well people say what are you going to do with your philosophy degree when you graduate and I would say Let's just think of all the different businesses that have yet to hire a corporate philosopher. You know, so there's there's unlimited job openings out there. But of course, uh, that was a joke. So what was the passion driving for this? Where, where was the passion for you? Is it something about the the, the, the thinking, the, the the argument, the exploring it? What, what's it about for you? I, I loved the argument. I loved rationality. I was always very rational person, even though I now have rationally learned about the limits of rationality and I'm not as sort of as wedded to it as I once was. Uh, but I liked the argument, but I also just was always very taken with philosophical issues. You know, what are, what is the nature of ethics? Is there sort of an objective morality? Are there other objective, can you say some value systems or some things are better or worse than others? Uh, and why are we here? And is there a purpose or meaning in life? All those kinds of questions were very interesting to me, just even from a very young age. I was, I was concerned about that stuff when I was in elementary school. I would think about that stuff a lot. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess it also depends on, on your spiritual upbringing on that because those morality issues get, get thrown at you as a child. Yeah. And my parents, my father was an academic. I went into the family business. My father was a professor actually at the University of Michigan. Um, And I was incredibly lucky. It's a long story that I ended up back here because it's not like I say that as a joke. I went into the family business just for any listeners out there. um, That's not how it works at universities. You don't get like a leg up because your dad was a thought there or something. But you followed the path. It Um, sounds like your dad set a path. But I did. I did. And I, and I hadn't planned on it. When I graduated with my undergraduate degree, um, I remember saying to my dad, I'm so glad I've taken the last exam I'm ever going to take in my life. I'm never going back to school, right? I've taken the last exam. That was ridiculous. I went off to graduate school and then PhD program and took many more exams. But I hadn't, I hadn't planned on, on this. Uh, so hang on. Let, let's wind it right back. When you, were, yeah. when you were small, what was it you wanted to be when you got big? I didn't have a clear idea. I mean, I, I had no idea. I mean, when I was real little, I wanted to be like a test pilot. So okay, that, that that's, not- that's a thing of our age, isn't it? Because we, we, we're of a similar age. I and mean, it was all about space flight and fast jets and stuff, wasn't it, when we were kids? Yeah. I mean, I'm talking when I was like seven or eight yeah, years yeah, yeah. old. That, that's, that, that, was my, that was my sort of dream. Other people wanted to be football players or policemen or firemen. I wanted to be. Because, you know, if you ask the kids today, they want to be YouTube stars. 
Yeah, absolutely. They all want to be. They all want to be influencers. <laughs> it's the new, new version of that. I've the whole idea that. of being a an astronaut, pattern. an astronaut or a fast jet pilot's gone now. <laughs> Maybe that's gone now. That's right. Now, now they all want to be influencers. Um, it's also airline pilots were because because flying when I was a child was very new. So even being an airline pilot was 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 very sexy and interesting. Nowadays, they're bus, they're bus drivers. Nowadays, people. I mean, they're, they're not. But you know what I mean. They're, they're, it, it's got the same kind of connotation to it. I would have. I would have found it. And then later I got very interested in food. Mm-hmm. And later I, I thought about becoming a chef. Uh, I worked in restaurants for a long time. I did a lot of my own cooking. I'm the only person I knew who actually threw dinner parties in high school. Like I would have my friends over, I'd get together with a friend and we'd cook and we'd have people over for a, a quasi adult like dinner party uh, with a bunch of fancy food. Uh, so I was very into the food stuff and I still am, but I, decided that I needed more intellectual stimulation than I was going to get as a chef. And so that wasn't the path for me. Yeah. Chefing is chefing at, well, chefing at home is lovely, but chefing in a, in a, in an organization is all about being precise and precision. And isn't it? It's a completely different world really. Yeah. So, so the passion so, of food and stuff is that, I mean, that's, that's obviously clearly carried on, but the, the passion of your, of, of study and, and exp- led you into the, into the academic profession. Yeah, it did. Um, it was a little bit by chance and roundabout. I graduated. I did. I wanted to have a job that had some sort of a sense of meaning and purpose to it, but I had also taken a few business classes and done very well. I, I found frankly, that it was just a lot easier to do extremely well in a business class than in a philosophy class. So I knew I had a little bit of a knack for that. Um, I managed to get a job. I was interested in employee-owned businesses and workplace democracy. And I managed to get a job at a company called Duff & Phelps in Chicago, which is one of the two large companies that set up employee stock ownership plans so helped employees buy the business so the business would be owned by the people who worked there Mm. and i got that job they told me this is nice you need an mba so i started going to the mba at night at northwestern this was in chicago and so i was in the, the evening mba program i liked the the concept of employee stock ownership plans and employee ownership but i hated the actual job and what i did all day it was horrible Uh, for me. It was not a good fit for me at all. Uh, So I went after a couple of years of this to one of my professors in a a marketing course and asked what should, you know, you got to help me find another job. I cannot stand my job. It's driving me crazy. And he said, well, you know, Aaron, uh, I I see how you talk in class and what you say. You're, You're not a business person, really. You're an academic why don't you come and switch from the MBA program into the PhD program and then just become a business school professor. And that way you can write about all this stuff uh, and think about it, you know, in a, in a, in another way. And so um, I ended up taking him up on that offer and went into the PhD program in marketing at Northwestern and then ended up from there at the university of Michigan. It was, I was very lucky. There was, you know, very few job university of michigan is a very good business program there weren't a lot of uh job openings that year at, at comparable places there were a couple but a, a small handful i was glad to get any of them and it was just especially nice that it happened to be in my hometown so do you have the doctor's title do you use, do you use the doctor title oh yeah 
Nice. I don't use the doctor, but I am sometimes as a joke. Yes. I will ask people to call me Dr. Love because I, you know, uh, of what I study. <clears throat> and sometimes I'll ask them to call me Dr. Brand Love just to, to qualify it a little bit, to be a little bit more specific. But I, there was a kind of, even within that, when I started uh, at the PhD program, I got waylaid into some research on dating services and was very interested in that and became along with a uh, professor, Dr. Mara Edelman, the two of us together became like big experts on dating services. And that was fun. Was I this what, what, before you were married? Before I was married. Yeah, that was part of it. It was just <laughs> dating was so much more interesting than like normal selling soap, marketing soap. Good God. <laughs> right. So, so I uh, was, you know, doing this work on dating. And in order to do that work, I needed to study the psychology of love so I could understand how dating and romance worked. Mm -hmm. So I spent a couple of years reading in great detail into the psychology of love. Then I needed something that was more mainstream than dating services to help me get a decent job in a business school. And I realized that, of course, people talk about loving objects and brands and activities and hobbies all the time, but no one had really taken the psychology of love as we understand it with people and looked to see how relevant that would be in understanding our relationships with objects or with brands. And so I, I was the first person to do that work in any depth and detail. Uh, and that work, which was now later, I didn't use this word at first, but in a, in a second publication, um, it called it brand love. So that concept of brand love has become very popular. And now when you put brand love into Google Scholar, you get 14,000 different papers from people all over the world who have written something about brand love. Uh, so it's, it's become a very popular topic, but I was actually the first person to do work in that area. And I'm still wow. the most, my name's most, so if you want, like if you, Want one name that goes with brand love, it would probably be my name. And that's what the work that I'm best known for. Fantastic. It's nice to have something nice to know that you've got you've made your mark in in, in the in the world of academia in that respect. And yeah, for better or worse, at least in the world of academia, I'm trying to 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 get uh more engagement outside of that. I do keynote talks. Well, we'll explore um, got, more of that in, in a minute. Let's 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 yeah. stick to to you, the story of you. Really, I want to stick sure. to that moment there. So, obviously, you've you've you found your niche by the sound of it. You found the place where you were most happy. Anything else? What has success been like for you over over your life period? What what have, what how how have you determined success? There's always been a conflict because. And this, I think, is true for many, many marketing people, which is we're interested, the people who are interested in marketing tend to be creative. Creative mm -hmm. people tend to be socially concerned. There's a, a definite correlation there. It's even in the in the scientific literature, if you look at values, people who are highly creative. As we look at artists, they, they tend to be very socially concerned, other kinds of creative people. Marketing in the public imagination is a usually seen as a fairly negative force in the world. Um, there's that old joke uh, from, you know, you can go back uh, 90 years, this old joke, which is, don't tell my mother I work in advertising. She thinks I play piano in a whorehouse. 
So you get a sense <laughs> yeah, of how see, disreputable. Yeah, I can see how disruptive that would be. Yes. <laughs> how disreputable advertising must have been that it, you know, a clear step down from playing piano in a whorehouse. Uh, so I've always been looking for ways to keep my sort of soul together and my moral positions together given the field that I'm in. And now I understand marketing better. I think marketing does a lot of wonderful things. I'm not opposed to marketing at all. I'm, uh, however, there are certain aspects of marketing that I think are, are very problematic. But as, as a whole, the idea of you know figuring out what people want and how to get people the products that they will benefit from is a, is a noble activity, even though there are aspects to it that aren't noble at all in, in what they do. But I've always been trying to, to bring it all together and I, I've worked on a lot of economic development programs around the world as one way of trying to take the skills I have in marketing and using them in a, in a better way. How does way. this relate to your your picture or your definition of success? So my definition of success is doing something that I am good at, that the external world recognizes me as good at, because that is important and that I feel good about, mm. that I feel is making a contribution. And this fits with my definition of success because it's about how do you get all three of those things to happen? There's there, there's things that I feel good about, like I enjoy singing, um, but nobody who's heard me sing would ever think that that should be a profession for me. So, you know, it's not enough that I like it. I have to actually be good at it. Is but, the success needs to be a profession. I mean, does does the success only fit in the professional world? No, it does absolutely does not. And there are many people where it does where they measure their success. There, a sort of a distinction between the live to work and work to live people. Mm. You know, people who just their job just makes them some money, but it's not how they define their success. But you're, what you're doing, you're, sorry, you're deflecting from this. I'm asking you about you because you're talking about other people right. now. Well, well, you asked. <laughs> you, you asked. You asked, does it have to? Oh, okay, and sorry. I would say, so I was thinking, does, does it, it have, have to? You? I need to be very, this is what you very get. semantic here. I'm oh, working with a philosopher you... here. <laughs> yeah, all right, it's it's going to get semantic. This is you know. So um, it doesn't have to, but it does. So for me, I very much, and you know, I was lucky enough to have a career that was close enough that I didn't have to do this. You know, my job is what I do on the side, and there's this other thing. I was able to combine them. And that's nice because you spend so much time working at your career that, you know, it's it's very good when you get to combine it. I'm very lucky. I have an incredibly good career. I get to think about interesting problems. I get to do work that I enjoy. I get to travel around the world. I'm reasonably well paid. It's a very lucky place that I'm in. And, I, I, and I'm very grateful for that. If I have, you know, any various obstacles come up as they always do in everybody's life i'm very quick to remind myself of how incredibly lucky i am yeah and in comparison to most people so hmm. and so you know success leads to for me it always leads to contribution in a way so like is is how we contribute to the world itself or how we feel we contribute to the world i there's a number of ways that i feel i contribute to the world one is through my teaching mm -hmm. and one of the things, you know, I know that you'll talk on this podcast about what we feel passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so this may come up again. But one of the things that I feel passionate about that I did get from my philosophy training 
in philosophy and academic philosophy, the cardinal sin, the thing that will, will get you a bad grade on a paper fastest is making a straw man argument, saying this philosopher was wrong because he said X and X is a bad idea. If the philosopher didn't really say X, if you're just, you know, you're, you're putting a bad spin on what they say, maybe they said something close to that, but you gave it a bad tweak to make it look bad and then it's easier to, to argue against it. It's a standard modern journalism, isn't it? Yes, it's a, it's a straw man argument and it's <laughs> uh, the standard of, of political discourse and modern hmm. journalism. And it is forbidden. You will just get your, you know, you'll get a bad grade really fast. Unless you're taking journalism as, a, as, a, as right. an exam here. <laughs> so in philosophy, though, that's a problem. And that was really drilled into me. And I am quite passionate about that. Mm. And I really believe that, and that's come through in a lot of my political work. So I've had two major political uh, endeavors that are both very similar. Uh, I'm Jewish and I've, been a supporter of sort of the idea that that Jews need a homeland in Israel, but I've been very critical of how we've gone about it, the actual practice of what's gone on with that. Uh, so it's I, a soapbox I could get on. I'm afraid I sit watching yes. from the outside and I kind of go, mm, "This doesn't look good." But there we go. Oh, it's it's not good. It's it's definitely it's getting worse all the time. It's getting yeah. notably worse all the time. Yeah. So. Uh, I helped found an organization in the United States that worked to encourage dialogue um, both within the Jewish community and between the Jewish community and other groups to help people understand the other people's points of view. Uh, because a lot of people in the Jewish community, when they hear anything that sounds like criticism of Israel, uh, just sort of go right to its anti-Semitism. And the truth is, sometimes it is anti-Semitism. That's the real thing. Um, and you, it, it's really out there, and it really does infect this discussion. But it's not always anti-Semitism. There's a lot of other very reasonable criticisms that you could make. And so I, I was very involved for a decade in working with organizations to try and help people make human connections with other people so they could hear what they were saying and they didn't just dismiss the other person's point of view. And that, that needed to go both ways. That needed to go both for critics of Israel and for supporters of Israel. Both sides needed to try and actually understand what the other side really believed and really thought and really felt instead of just assuming the worst about them and then moving on from there. So I did that for many years and then I moved from one insolvable problem to a bigger <laughs> insolvable problem, which is doing the same thing. There's a group called Braver Angels in the United States. And they uh, I've been involved with them for a, a while and they have an experts committee that I'm on. And we're trying to do the same thing with uh, political left and right in the United States. Yes, I've heard about that. I've heard about that organization, yes. Yes, because moment you're so your your politics is so bloody polarized now. It's just it's, it's just it's it's just it's just so insidiously horrible. <laughs> it is insidiously horrible, and part of that is uh, that if 
it is, there's abundant studies. There's tons of data on this. I, and I'm but sure it, this is a rabbit hole we could climb down and probably probably right. shouldn't because <laughs> it's, it's I, you know, it, it's deep. And and I, you know, as someone from the outside witnessing and watching it, I have an opinion too. So, and I have a similar thing going on in my country. So, you know, it's like it's not just exclusive to the US, this. No, not at all. But and one of the things that I suspect is probably also not exclusive to the U.S. is that if you ask people who are politically on the left what the right believes, they will their views, while the sincerely held, tremendously exaggerate how heinous the people on the right are, and vice versa. If you ask people on the right, they completely, you know, very much exaggerate because the, the people at the extremes end up doing shit stuff, and everyone kind of goes that shit, and then everyone, <laughs> that's what happens. And it's the bit right. remembered, isn't it? It's not the bit in the middle, which is the the same stuff. Yeah, and 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 then that becomes this perpetuating cycle where you think the other guy is that shit crazy, yeah, and then that just makes you further in your direction, whatever that is. And so the the idea is to try and mitigate that as much as you can but as yoda said there ain't no try is there in this one <laughs> we, there's this do well, or don't do <laughs> well we, we definitely we we're, we're doing but it's you know it's it's a it's a long road but but the, but getting people to talk with each other in very particular if you just have people talk with each other then they'll just hate each other but if you do it in controlled particular situations you can get people to realize that the other side you know, many people on the other side are not that crazy. Well, we all want and, the same thing, are they? I mean, both sides want a reasonable standard of living, a life, a life for their families, food on the table, and, and and interesting work. We all want that, right? And we have a lot more in common <coughs> than, we, than, yes. than we than we than, than, than separates us. Yes. But we get focused on the stuff that separates us. Yes, yes, yes. And it's, it's not fantastic that you've got involved in that stuff. That's amazing stuff. And I guess it's part of your philosophy, isn't it? It's 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 rooted in philosophy. That it's well, it's a great combination actually of philosophy and marketing because yeah. marketing does have a virtue. Um, we can talk about the the, the many problems <laughs> and places of marketing, but it but it's not you know it really is good in many ways. And the primary virtue of marketing is that it teaches you to understand other people and try to meet their needs. Mm. So uh, an artist will create a, a work that really just expresses their own vision, right? They're not they're not supposed to like ask the customer what they want. They're supposed to, the artist is the, they're, they're expressing themselves. But the marketer's job is to understand other people, to say, I'm not like the customer. The customer is different from me. The customer has their own needs and their own desires. And I need to understand them and then when I understand them, I can make something that will that they will like and will help them because the easiest way to sell things is to make things that people already like. And you don't have to convince them to change their mind. You figure out what they like to begin with and then you make that. It's, it's, it works way better. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I teach when I teach marketing is I teach people how to do interviews and other kinds of research and how to interpret that so they come to the realization that a other people aren't like them that's why they're other people and not you and that they need that they can come to understand these other people and they shouldn't just assume the other people are just like them but they also shouldn't assume the other people are so strange that they're incomprehensible and th that you can really come to understand and that is the foundation of marketing it's also the foundation of all of this political work that i was doing mm. um, just put in another context mm. So drawing the, the, the contribution side together, and this is a difficult one for a lot of people, how do you contribute to yourself? 
how do I contribute to myself? I have a a very easy time contributing to myself. I'm I I'm a little bit on the self indulgent oh, side. Oh, that's great! Be self indulgent. <laughs> it's your life. We have to live it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I I never have I never have difficulty. I know people who say like, oh, I do something nice for myself. I feel so guilty. I never have guilt feelings about doing nice things for myself. So um, I've managed to carve out a life where. I, as I said earlier, I get to think about interesting problems. I travel all over the world um, and I meet the most interesting people. And my research is, is to me, absolutely fascinating when I get into it and talk about it. And the topics, I get to study love and the nature of love. And that's a deeply interesting topic. Uh, I just think, I don't think, I think there's anybody out there who doesn't isn't just inherently interested in what love is, because it's such an important part of our life. We're, we're going to get to that in more detail in a minute, because that's going yeah. to get more more interesting. Yeah, so, so it, it's very good. And, 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 and I indulge myself with my friends and with uh, mountain biking and with food and with music and with hanging out and having a good time all the time. That's that's the point, isn't it? That's, that's what we're here for. We're here to enjoy ourselves really in the day. And part, partly, I think, I think it's a balance, uh, you know, uh, you, you're here to make a contribution and to make, to make a difference and leave the world a better place than you found it. And you're here to enjoy yourself along the way. So you, that you leads things. us nicely to our final, to our final question on this section of the podcast is this, you know, you know, we born into this world and we have this experience. We, we, we marry, we have, we buy houses, we do all the bits and pieces. We have children and then we leave it. Is there a meaning to it all? For you? Yes, I think there is. I mentioned briefly earlier how I've always been a big fan of rationality, but I've come to understand the limits of rationality. And as I see the world, as I understand the world now, rationality is not really applicable to meaning. That meaning creation is an inherently irrational process. Uh, that that rationality can inform in certain ways, but it, it can't really give you an underlying meaning. And so I've chosen to open up a certain amount of faith in my life. And I don't, I'm not conventionally religious. I don't believe in a conventional God, you know, who makes miracles and you can talk to and will talk back to you. But I do believe that there is some meaning in life and there's sort of a, a mystery at the heart of existence that, uh, gives meaning and purpose to life, that it's not all this random. I recognize that that belief isn't an act of faith, that there's no rational way that you can prove that. But I choose to believe it because intuitively it seems uh, irrefutable to me. It just seems so intuitively clear. Intuitively. I love that word intuition. Do you use your intuition? Absolutely. You have to all the time. And everything has to be a balance. But intuition and rationality are linked. You know, intuition is a shortcut to rationality. You, you, if you try and power through at a purely rational level all the time, you won't get very far. You have to use your intuition, but you have to balance it because a lot of our intuition turns out to be crap. Uh, there, you know, there's a sense that people have this like, well, you everyone has their own truth. You believe whatever feels right to you. I think that's crap. Uh, I think that a lot of things people believe are just wrong. 
<laughs> so I, you know, but, I, I, but I, I, yeah, if it works for them, true. if it works for them, and their life is successful with those bleeds, I, I think two people can bleed completely antithesis of them. Their life both work. It's quite, which is quite. You know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people on this subject. So it was really fascinating to see the, the reflect on that. I I would agree. Um, I think that your life should not only work for you; it should work for the larger society that you're in. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of beliefs that I think are incorrect, but are very harmless. And that's fine. And, and, you know, many of my friends have beliefs that, and I have beliefs that I'm sure they all think are incorrect and hopefully harmless. Uh, I do get more concerned when people have beliefs that are both incorrect and harmful. And there's, there's plenty of those around too. Uh, so yes, there point, are some cultures around them and things that have very strong beliefs that, that, are quite exclusive we, and we and we and a lot of the world troubles are called around are based around those things which is a shame but it's, it's a sad thing but yeah it's interesting uh, well i think this kind of like ties us up really in terms of how i want to handle this side of the podcast for me really, because I, I think it's fascinating the journey you've had and you, and you clearly are someone that is really um built a life that you wanted to and and had some and why you don't think there's any control over you? But did you think? Do you think you had the control over your life in terms of that sense, or did you think it, it unfolded as it did? Oh, it's it's a mixture. Uh, you know, everything's always a, a mixture of agency and coincidence. If I had not been in that particular class, that marketing class, and talked to that particular professor, I would not have ever ended up in a PhD program in marketing and uh, my job, my life would have gone a a very different route. I love those key points. Yeah. It was a huge coincidental element to that. Yeah. So how do people follow you? Do you have a, a, you have books that you've written and and, uh, things that we can let people know about? Sure. So the book is called the things we love, how our passions connect us and make us who we are. Uh, if you want to find me, a friend of mine once said it would be Huvia to remember a Huvia. So some apt, <laughs> very apt, right? So if you just you know you put in brand love a Huvia, you'll find me. I've got a website thethingswelove.com. I've got a blog on psychology today. You can connect there if you're interested in uh, talks, keynote addresses. Uh, uh, just go to the things we, we can remember the phrase the things we love mm-hmm. that'll get you to me lovely well we'll put all those links on on the podcast so people can track you down if they need to and fantastic uh, paul and the, are you fun. still are they still studying with you are you still taking on do you, do you have i mean obviously you're at a university so people can actually still study with you i guess yeah absolutely uh and and i take on students and i work with phd students around the world actually so lovely uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Aaron. It's been a joy to talk to you. It's been very interesting. And, and and we avoided the rabbit holes beautifully because there were lots of interesting places we could have gone with this conversation. <laughs> very good. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's been really a pleasure to be here. It's been great. Thank you. All the best. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and Dr. Aaron Ahuvia. Now you can find Aaron at his website, thethingswelove.com. And you can also find him on LinkedIn. Not a great social media person, but he is very responsive. So do check him out if you're interested. 
And also you can find the book on, on, on Amazon, which is called, incidentally, The Things We Love. All those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. Hopefully you have been following this podcast for a while and have explored the five questions for yourself. But if not, what's stopping you? You know, after hundreds of interviews, I can say with a hand on my heart that having answers to the questions about our passion, a picture of success, an awareness of contribution, thoughts around the one question and a sense of what it all means, that is the path to a good life. Now look, you don't need me to tell you that our world is changing faster than at any other time, certainly any time that I can remember. And we must be sure to know who we are and what we want out of this journey because we will not get it unless we choose it. So please give it some thought because, you know, your future depends on it. And if you'd like some help with that process, do check out the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com where you will find the five questions, ebook and worksheets. Now this stuff is packed with exercises to help you on the journey towards self-discovery and it's at the amazing price of just 12 99 So do check that out at the resources tab at lifepassionandbusiness.com. Now, finally, has this podcast been useful to you? If so, please consider giving us a five-star review on the app of your choosing. And of course, sharing it with a friend, because that's how people like yourself find good podcasts. And that's it from me until Sunday. As always, thank you so much for being here with me on this journey. I so appreciate your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.